0: Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and that Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded. I pay my respects to elders and custodians past, present and emerging, and to those of the lands that this podcast reaches. As I embark on this process of speaking and listening, I'm doing so in the home of one of the longest continuous cultures of oral storytelling on the planet.
1: I grew up with a really clear sense of social consciousness that was passed down to me through my parents, Mm -hmm. by my parents. So I was brought up to consider that even when things are okay for you, you've got to look around and see who are they not okay for and why is that and what can you do.
0: I'm Ty Snaith and this is A World of One's Own, a series of conversations with women and non-binary artists I respect and admire. In each of these conversations, we attempt to break down the how and why of what we make. Together, we look at physical processes and how they relate not only to outcomes, but also connect to the unconscious or non-visual parallels and needs in our lives. Today, I'm speaking with Kate Just. Kate has always used textiles in her work whether that be crocheting or knitting woolen portraits of famous feminist artists, or more recently, creating portraits from different artists' clothes. She's always noticed the way our skins can carry different meaning and histories. Kate and I talk about how she's interested in the real power and agency of what we wear, and how clothes can even be a transgressive force. As a teacher, Kate shares her outlook on what it means to be institutionalised with radical intentions – and her ongoing project to create more equal and diverse communities within the institution. We start our conversation by recounting when we went to art school together. So it's been a while, and since then we've um we've grown up. We've, we've grown <laughs> up. We have partners, children. The whole lot. Careers. And I reckon we've both sort of got better with age. How do you feel about that? I feel like...
1: Well, certain things have gotten better and certain (laughs) things have gotten worse. What's got worse? Uh, We should start with what's got better. What's got better? (laughs) What's got better? Confidence, clarity, intelligence, um, artistic command, friendships, community. It's pretty good, isn't it? Political sort of intention. A lot of things have gotten better. Yeah. What's gotten worse? Probably just the body. (laughs) That's it.
0: That old but chestnut, it, yeah. yeah, but
1: not. I wouldn't say looks entirely. I feel actually way more comfortable with my Me looks. Too. If I look, if I look back at myself when I was twenty five, I can't believe I didn't think I was like an absolute supermodel. I thought I was hideous. <laughs> so did now I. I think I'm gorgeous, and I probably, you know, like, no. I'm a little bit deluded. No, but I, I think, think you just get to a point with confidence where you think actually your own just belief in yourself yeah. and and the people around you and and everything is what. Counts, I
0: think so too. And you can really see it in someone's face as well yeah. and they're much more comfortable with their their family or their community or mm. you look better. I, yeah. I agree. But I do, I do think some people it goes the other way around. But I feel like for both of us we've yeah. found we're much more comfortable with ourselves than yeah. back then yeah, when I knew you at art school. Right. But now you're also back in the institution as a teacher as well
1: yeah. and a mentor and so you sort of – how have things changed In terms of... Well, actually, I never really left the institution. I'm the person (laughs) who stays in the institution to radicalize it. Ooh, Um, from the inside. So I'm institutionalized, but with radical intention. Excellent. Um, So I've been there. I went back to teaching in 2005, and I haven't left. And I did my um, master's and my PhD... Straight away. ...during the time I was teaching with gaps. But Mm -hmm. basically, I've been in contact with some institution... The whole time, except for a gap of two years. That's that's pretty intense. Yeah, I don't think I could have done that. I mean, it's not for everyone. No,
0: but you've but you. I feel like from and I'm. I guess I'm looking at things from the outside. But I feel like you've made quite a lot of change in terms of being within, we shouldn't mm. probably name the institution. It's not really useful, but. I think it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, so sure. We're, so I'm we're proud of
1: my. We're um, from VCA. My, yeah, <laughs> I'm very really proud of my contribution to the VCA. Yeah, I do and, think and, and, you've made a
0: big contribution. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And and I think that
0: that's probably ongoing. I feel like that's kind of just the start of what's going to change in that
1: place. It's been an incredible institution to to work in and be a part of, mm. um, and the students and staff are, incredibly talented but Mm. yeah there's like any institution there are um structures of power which exist there Mm. um pretty entrenched ones actually in every institution Mm. in in every instance that reflect broader forms of (laughs) institutional power everywhere yeah so so they're there Mm. as well and um and it's part of my yeah engagement with with the place to to sort of talk about those and work within those to see what's possible. So It's one of the reasons I was really interested to move into a role as a head of a department mm. is that I thought, well, I can employ people, so that's something I can do yeah. to change in terms, make some changes in terms of staffing. And mm. it's also something I can do in terms of recruitment of students and yeah. in, in creating um, communities in, in the institution, in the courses that I run. That's
0: so good. Um, different
1: kind of communities. So, so that's something I could could do and have done in a short time Mm. have started to do work on of course you can't just go in and hire like seven new people you can only work with what's Mm. there and and slowly make changes as things Mm. become available but I have I have been able to do quite a lot in a short time
0: that's pretty amazing like I do think that that's a big part of I mean even since knowing you ages ago there's always been something of your person or personality Mm. that is about and it's kind of funny because it's quite in line with your actual name. <laughs> I was thinking, Justice. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Like there's something about you that is for this kind of notion of truth and making things right or or fighting or working towards what's right or shedding light on a, a better way of doing things. Mm, which I, I
1: think I've always been motivated by that. I grew up with a really clear sense of social consciousness that was passed down to me through my parents, Mm. by my parents. So I think that's something um, I've always, uh, I was brought up to consider that even when things are okay for you, you've got to look around and see who are they not okay for and why is that and what can you do Mm. um, to make it, Different.
0: That's such a great way of thinking. I mean, having kids now, I think about that all the time because you take it for granted that you question things throughout your life and why and your intentions and your motives or who you might be overlooking or who you might be hurting or whatever. And I do that on a daily basis. But then when you have children, you sort of just assume and then you realize you can't assume. You have to actually actively teach them that way of looking at things too. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: But yeah, in Turkey, talking about maybe your work and how it ties back to your work. Your work I find really fascinating because it seems to have evolved, it evolves quite quickly, which is inspiring Mm. because often things, you know, people's practices stay the same for a long time and I'm not super interested in those kind Mm. of practices but I feel like yours is quite reactionary to to the things around you that are happening, um, you know, within your life and and quite political in some respects and has been based on, you know, your interest in feminism for quite a long time. Yeah. But that seems to be changing recently from feminism into something slightly different.
1: Mm, what's it changing into?
0: Well, uh, please tell me your observation. Oh, don't, it could be completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like it's sort of more of, it's sort of t- turning more into a social, like the, the an idea of socially constructed identity. So it's like mm. definitely always been about identity and mm. the way, but, but particularly with women, yeah. the way I've seen it, but but just recently I feel like there's a slight shift in terms of the way we construct our own identities, but not mm. necessarily as women.
1: Are you thinking in terms of the um, clothes yeah. portraits? Maybe you yeah. could talk about them. Yeah. yeah, so I've just started a series. I say just started, but I guess I actually started it maybe end of last year. So mm. it's been almost a year in the making um, and it's, it's changed its title a couple of times as oh. a project, but I'm currently just calling it Clothes Portraits. Yeah. And they're portraits of artists made using their cast-off clothes. Mm. Um, but I do still see it absolutely as a continuation of the previous project, the mm. Feminist Fan Project, mm. which I feel like I should speak about yeah, as well just a, a bit. I just assume to, everyone knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> don't. <laughs> um, so the Feminist Fan Project was a series of 40-plus, um, but it was like the top 40 knitted uh, homages to my favorite feminist yeah. um, and queer artists. I'd be surprised from around if people the world. listening to this haven't seen those
0: works. But if you haven't, you've Get been online. wearing, you've been wearing some, kind of, mm-hmm. some kind of blindfold for the last couple of years. But yeah.
1: Um, well, the art world's small, but the world and the world is big. And so, but yeah, they've had a great run and they've shown around mm. the world and they've had a real presence, I guess, on Instagram because as part of that work, I. Created a post um, and a love letter to each artist, mm. where I, you know, describe they were why they're important to me and to feminism, which then, pro- you know, proliferates yeah. their message through
0: your love of them or your, yeah. yeah. And I
1: mean, one of, so one of the things I um, I realized as I was about halfway into that series was that all the artists I I um, depicted in in knitting in <laughs> yarn um, actually use clothing as a form of. Um, transgressive or political force really? in their own works, so hence hmm. my, um, you know, translation hmm. of them through te- a textile medium. Mm-hmm. So. Um, in a sense fashion mm-hmm. I've always been interested in how clothes and fashion become like an armor or second skin or operate as a form of polit- have with a form of political agency or can yeah. so I guess moving from um, that series into the clothes portraits it's actually not that um, dissimilar because it's a, it's a series which is depicting artists through the medium of clothes mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. their clothes reflect is the way that clothes um, create Work. or reflect our identity Yeah. and that the way in particular Particularly in the case of women mm. and queer people, mm. um, they reflect our. Um, they become a kind of armor for the world mm. and reflect a kind of political intention. Yeah, I've always so felt, felt to me that's somewhere. a feminist intersectional lens. Still, definitely. it is. It is.
0: It's just slightly. Mm. I feel like it's slightly opened up to something. You know, I love it. I yeah. love the new direction. I feel like it's it's really kind of um, current as well, which is rather than casting. Um, you know, a retrospective mm. look back yeah. at how things were done. It's, it seems to be happening sort of right now. Yeah, but can I presence. ask a technical question? Yeah, sure. <laughs>
1: um, the clothes, you say they're cast off. Well, oh, I say cast off, I mean essentially they've – they've decided they won't wear them anymore oh, like see, i'm not tricky. taking their brand new clothes <laughs> I like i'm not going that. into their closet and taking their favorite clothes i'm inviting artists to mm-hmm. have a think about how they'd represent themselves through clothes mm-hmm. and most people don't want to part with their best threads so no. what they end up giving you is they end up giving you about 3 green bags of clothing that for various reasons they've decided aren't Needed anymore. Interesting. But for most people, because they know it's going to be a portrait, they're giving you clothes that have mattered to them. Yeah, that are so representative in a sense, it them. is a past. Mm-hmm. It often for them is very moving. They're like skins. Yeah, because they're looking back at a, at a moment or a series of moments in their life. So people will say, I think, oh, I wore this dress, you know, to my you know, mother's funeral or I wore, my son wore this wow. shirt when he started primary school. And they're giving you quite emotional wow. things, things from their openings, opening hmm. nights that they've worn and you know underwear Gavin Brown gave me <laughs> his um Vivian Westwood underwear amazing um so so they've got they've got um they're giving me it's really, really bathing suits i've got very specific yeah. um in my own mind yes. it's almost like a painterly Palette yeah. I'm creating across the works, so I yeah. don't want them all to look too similar. No, and it's been interesting because I've mainly focused on women in mm. my practice and other women and and myself mm. and women in my family, etc. That I haven't really uh, worked with that many men before. But the I men I've this. worked with in this project, they're all queer men. Yeah, and so there is um there is a sense of how queerness kind mm. of influences your identity. And what I love about the queer men I've happened <laughs> to select is that they have unbelievable. Amazing <laughs> Unbelievable clothes. I mean, like the the Gavin Brown, Paul Yor and Ramesh, Marianne Theodron yeah. have the most unbelievably patterned, yeah. glamorous, incredible clothes. Yeah. So there's but been something really interesting about that.
0: It's interesting because it's not dissimilar to kind of this project in a way. Mm. Is that I'm really interested in collecting people's stories. Yeah. And. I guess um, what I'm drawn to in different people's stories is is the variety within within one person's practice like yeah. and it's not dissimilar to a wardrobe you yeah, know the stories right. that make up who you are but when I think about who I'm most interested, it's it's mm. women and and mm. non-binary artists because mm. I'm sort of fascinated, I guess, in the way that we express ourselves and mm. through um through a history of being kind of repressed, and now that everything is emerging, mm. how we have a voice and how you construct those stories.
1: Yeah, for me in this story, like the it, there is um. I guess because in that series my subject is actually clothing Mm. and its power and Mm. agency I think there definitely are men and queer men in that space who've used clothing as a really provocative force so Mm. I'm interested in the way those men have used fashion to challenge kind of gender norms like Paul Yor's given me dresses Mm. and um, like bathing suits he's bought from like a, a, a girls or whatever section of Target or one of those kind of stores. So they're actually, you know, to make that decision mm-hmm. to buy those clothes or or to wear those clothes in public, it's a political decision. I was going to say, it's a political basically. act. It's a political, yeah. political yeah. act because yeah. you're challenging everything around you, billboards, TV mm-hmm. shows, um, mainstream representations of gender. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's an example, I think, of men who have a, tons to contribute in mm-hmm. a way. They're, they're going to change the way they dress, the way they their work um, exist is actually really challenging mm. to a lot of um, yeah long held kind of structures that define lines of culture and gender and class yeah. and race and everything else. I mean- and, the, and obviously, you're just interested in artists. Because- yeah, at the moment I'm mm. interested in artists because the other thing is I've chosen artists for whom textiles is is an mm-hmm. important part of their practice. So this yep. again mirrors the previous. Every single one of them, mm. even Gavin Brown, who's mainly a painter, um, started out as a textile designer. Yeah, right. So um, there's only one artist, Penelope Davis, who maybe wouldn't be thought of as primarily a textile artist. Mm. But even even so, her current series of um, hand-sewn jellyfish mm-hmm. sculptures, they're yes. all, it, mm-hmm. it is definitely a kind of text, with, mm. of latex, a kind of textile. Mm. So they're all looking at skins and textiles in their work as well. Skins, I think,
0: is just such an interesting metaphor. Like mm. there's so many levels to that, the way that you shed a skin as a reptile. Mm. I mean, we have a lizard at the moment in our house mm. and he sheds his skin Quite often and sometimes it it just sheds a whole hand so it's like this little glove that you <laughs> find. <laughs> sits there in his little... Yeah. But the way that we shed our mm. skins um, as an artist I find fascinating as well. So like mm. you were saying, the taste that you might have moved on from but still a part of you, it's like mm. we create this long list of past interests mm. that becomes who we are yeah. in a way. Yeah, It's like those collections of skins is really important to make a whole... Kind of life,
1: yeah, yeah. I think that um, there's, it's skin is definitely one of those themes that I think I've left and I come back to mm. all the time. I did my PhD was on women's representation of their own body through skin, mm. so not the body but skin as a surface, a mm. texture that you could you can sort of um like if you think of artists like Catherine Opie who mm. who works with scarring and tattooing in mm. the photographic works it's it's a you know it's a clear indication of the way you can write your own stories into your skin and the way your mm. skin carries history of touch, Mm. which is quite specific as well.
0: Yeah, one of the other artists I've spoken to in this series, Stanislava Mm. Pinchuk, you would love her work because Mm. she has this kind of currency of tattooing where she will tattoo but only to people she can have an exchange with. So they give her something in exchange. But we were talking a lot about the way that it relates to you know like lace in the past and mm. stories of women um tattooing symbols onto other women and this really rich history of like textile and skin and the way that yeah. that, that relates yeah it's fascinating
1: interrelated yeah story.
0: it's yeah. something I mean that I've never really thought about before but you can of course once you do you see it sort of everywhere mm. right and then I guess there's facets of that like hair or yeah. you know yeah. like, different different sort of elements of or, or like um you know drawing on your face or makeup or so many different things (laughs)
1: but it's funny I'm just laughing because I love makeup so do I I was actually I I
0: was actually just thinking one of my earliest I was reading a magazine that was about different artists earliest Mm. memories and it made me think what was my earliest memory and one of my earliest memories is watching my mum you know Mm. put on makeup in the mirror and just Mm. being absolutely do you know, just absorbed in it. And I could mm. never tear myself away from it. Every mm. morning I'd have to go and watch it because it's this sort of you know, creating your identity in a way that you mm. choose, and mm. but it is tricky, I think, as a feminist, you sort of question I've gone through phases of thinking mm, hate makeup because mm. it's a black like, whatever male industry construct, blah blah, but then I think, well, actually no i I love it i love I love dressing up, I love putting on whatever I mm. want or not, or having the choice you know mm.
1: I don't really ever make the choice to <laughs> leave the house without it, but it's not it's so funny because my daughter hope they say to me, they always say to me, "Are you ashamed of your face?" <laughs> um, is that why you're doing that? Like they have this such black and white idea about makeup, yeah, like makeup. But you, you put makeup on if you must be ashamed of what you really look like. So and I'm always like, look, I'm not ashamed. I'm really actually not ashamed mm. of myself. I just feel that it's a tool through which I can almost enhance my expression That's of how myself. I feel, mm. Um and I and I and I I actually just love it. I used to watch soap operas when I was a kid mm. and like pause the video cuz remember or, like pause the if it was like a replay pause the video and like pay attention to how they'd constructed their makeup. I'm sure that's like the worst makeup lesson you could ever give yourself to watch soap operas. <laughs> but I used to think, oh, so okay, so they've got this shadow on this <laughs> section of the lid and they've got this kind of eyebrow. And it's just
0: an artist way of looking at it's it. It's It's just sort of how it, 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 it is. But, I mean, one of the notes I've written down here is, and I guess it was in regards to the clothes works, it's that idea of crafting identity or, you know, like what we choose to hide or what we choose to show mm. and how with some people it's almost like they choose to show everything mm. and then other people are very, very private. Mm. But through doing this pro- project with clothes, have you sort of noticed the differences in how people communicate their identity Mm. Like are they really private have have you dealt with
1: anyone that's very private or no, <laughs> no. so that would be
0: kind of interesting, I think
1: so well, actually, I think that probably Jan Murray would be the most private, but also not like in a way, mm. I've known her for many, many years, mm. so um I feel that I do know quite a bit about her as well, mm. but I think yeah, she's probably the most publicly sort of reserved or private person that i um did a portrait of, and her. Yeah, her cl- her portrait looks like a lot like a flag almost. Interesting. And it has even though she's um I guess known for wearing clothes that are really very expressive mm. and even kind of flamboyant like metallics mm, and all different mm. colors. The bags she gave me happen to be mostly black and white, so her portrait is black and white, and it, Interesting. it has this like ruffled cross in it. So that one, I mean, so they make themselves. the cra- The craziest mm. thing about that that series is you get the bags, you put the clothes on the table, mm. and it. You ought I automatically know what I'm going to exclude. And because it's so so weird, people will give you bags and bags and they think they've given you this crazy selection that won't work. And you're like, okay, you actually only wear three colors of clothes. Mm. Plus, there's like a yellow and a green. Get rid of those. And now you have this, these Mm. three stripes or whatever. It's so, so immediate you edit it's sort
0: of like that's your role in the project isn't it is to edit out so that it makes clearer sense of that person which yeah, is what and, you do as and an they artist also,
1: everyone says to me it's so random <laughs> and everyone's is so not, not random, random. <laughs> so so I'm creating some kind of complete order from what they think is a chaos like Ramesh mm. gave me these bags of like unbelievably different colored clothes but in the mix of it were more than 12 cotton patterned shirts mm. with such detailed, vibrant pattern that immediately I was like, okay, this is the most like a real quilt of mm. all of the no. things because it's like quilt fabric, that mm. kind of patterned cotton mm. um shirt material. And so I'm his will be the only one that's made only of one kind of material mm. and it looks like a quilt. So so there so he thinks it's very diverse material he's given me, but there's it's so much not- of one thing mm. in there that looks so beautiful together.
0: I feel like Past a certain age, my clothes started to, you know, I started to be able to pick similar. I have a very varied wardrobe Mm. and a lot of clothes, but I've started to notice that, like, as I get older, I have more clothes with holes in them. Mm. like it's a thing i think mm. i'm very tactile and mm. sculptural but if i were to do like look at my wardrobe mm. before i was 20 for example you go mm, you're I then know, you're looking stupid. at like this crazy kind of trying to find your identity like i wore cowboy hats mm. and you know like there was <laughs> what's the, wrong with cowboy hats <laughs> everything you, wrong should, wrong with you cowboy. should bring it back bring it back you but you should, know what i'm, I'm saying, saying like i would never be caught dead in a cowboy hat now but it really? is i yeah. challenge you I, no. You can do it. You could People totally
1: like Bob to ruin it for everyone. You
0: know, <laughs> who wants to be likened to him, no one.
1: I'm not doing it today, but usually I, I pick one item um – from my closet, and I and I build this, like, character for the day. Mm. Like, I'll be like, today I'm a sailor. <laughs> like, and I do that. I consciously i am like, okay, let's mm. start with this little bandana, mm. and today I'm a sailor. Mm. And then I just build the whole thing. Sailor <laughs> from the ground up. But <laughs> I do the
0: same thing. It's a story of your day. Like, mm. it's a way to work out how that day is going to form. Or sometimes I feel completely wrong, mm. and you kind of have to go home and Mm. Just racist. Did,
1: did you see? I posted on Instagram last week. I was napping and mm. talking like through the stream state napping mm. to my wife, and I said to her, "I'm doing my extended family tree, and anyone um, who doesn't contribute to their fashion community ends up in the pit of burning hell." I saw that. Yeah, yeah. and she goes to me. Talking to me while I'm asleep. Oh well, I got those new white sneakers, so I should be fine. And I go, No, you're gonna end up in the pit as well. <gasps>
0: oh you judged her
1: in your sleep. That's cool. But I think she looks great. I just I just it's I think it's hilarious that there I'm dreaming that yeah. people who don't dress well enough are gonna burn. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that evil dreams but, but yeah. i i also had this i also converted a bunch of my students the other day because we had this um <laughs> dialogue in a crit in a in a critique about fashion and we kind of got onto this train where <laughs> people were talking about it being a mechanism of privilege mm-hmm. um and like clothing and f- high fashion, and and I gave a number of different kinds of examples of where in even really kind of disadvantaged totally. uh, communities, not. where actually dressing up becomes a form of power, mm. and it's something that's prioritized as a way of showing your power. <gasps> yeah. And then um, this student was so convinced that he's ended up like. He came back like the week ne- later in this incredible outfit and I said to him, wow, what, what's happened to you? You look amazing. <laughs> and he said, oh, you've convinced me. You've completely yeah, convinced wow. me that fashion's power. I spent my entire life not thinking it was and, and now I think it is and, and now it takes me three hours to leave the house. Oh,
0: my God, that's so great. <laughs> that You should put that on your CV. Converted
1: I converted an entire, entire norm course student course into <laughs> entire course of thirty graduate well. students that Fashion is a political um, force. It
0: is. And it's an expression without words. It's amazing. Mm. that I think the best thing to make them watch is that amazing documentary, um, Paris Burning, Paris is Burning. Oh,
1: yeah. Have you watched I, that? I haven't oh. watched it. I need it, to watch it.
0: You definitely need to watch it. It's just set in, you know, I think it's set in the Bronx or in New York, you know, mm. and it, it's just that queer community of of black people basically having these dances that they'll go to and dress mm. like have competitions for you know the their walks so it's all mm. based around a fashion kind of culture but mm. definitely not a privileged culture and it just became this intense kind of Vibe and community. It's a so like competitive, even. It I super competitive. Yeah. And they were given trophies and stuff, but <sighs> there was like, you know, dressing, men dressing as women, women dressing mm. as men, but then convincing people that you were like a soccer mom mm. or convincing people that you mm. were, you know, a jock or a, a military. There's like a military mm. one. It's the best documentary. Mm. But just that the power of presenting as something else, which as I think as artists we do all the time, yeah. we construct our, you know, writing our bio. It's a mm. way of constructing yourself. To the, mm. and, and that limited palette as well, whether it be with words or clothes mm. or paint. It's something that we sort of have to learn how to do pretty pretty early Ooh. what's your key what is your key item in your wardrobe my key
1: item usually it's sho- usually <laughs> shoes. I, I do top and toes is the big thing for uh-huh. me so I've recently dyed my hair I have noticed um, that um, looks it's, fr- good. it's like a peachy kind of blonde and then the shoes so I've got two pairs of shoes that I'm loving at the moment mm-hmm. which is um well, I've got this like silver uh, metallic silver mod boots nice and also, kind of an almost like cowgirl-looking pair, but classic pair of like a leather um, tan leather soft mm. leather um, ankle boot. Mm. So those two things, it's like with that with either one top and the bottom, and then you just kind of work it in between. In between, yeah.
0: One of the works that you did um, that I really loved was the
1: Furies. Oh, thank you. Maybe you could talk a bit about that project because it's fascinating. Yeah. So the Furies was a project they did in 2015 um, on a Rupert Bunny Fellowship, which oh. is a fellowship that the City of Port Phillip offers to one artist every two years. It's mm-hmm. a twenty five thousand dollars fellowship, nice to produce a work in the City of Port Phillip, and the mm-hmm. outcome is usually in the um, the gallery at the St Kilda Town Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, Which isn't maybe like the most uh, well visited, Mm -hmm. you know, contemporary art gallery site in Melbourne. but it's – nevertheless, the fellowship itself is a really interesting and exciting mm. opportunity. And um, I was the first artist that I that I know of who's had that fellowship, who's done – who decided and proposed to do a community-engaged project. Mm. And I did um, a project wow. which was – Yeah, I mean, other people have done, you know, really significant projects, mm-hmm. usually things that advance their technical uh-huh. skill or understanding as an artist mm. – but um, I guess because I lived in St. Kilda or City of Port Phillip for the 24 years I've lived in Australia, I've only lived three years out of the city of Port Phillip. Mm. So that's really my hood. Mm. And my studio has been there for most mm. of the years as well. And the thing I that I, I see every day in St. Kilda is, you know, extreme privilege – just smack up against extreme oh, kind of disadvantage, mm. poverty and a lot of struggles like uh people in in with struggling with homelessness, drug addiction yeah. and my studios in a in a street that is like a main strip of prostitution in St. Gray Kilda. Street? Um no, it's actually um Greve Street. Oh, Greve Street. I and, used to work in St. Kilda yeah, as well. Yeah. And so so it's it's part of it's part of my neighborhood, it's part of my Experience, and it's something I'm, um, conscious about. <sighs> And um, in the year before I did the project, um, a sex worker in the neighborhood, Tracy Connolly, um, was violently murdered yeah, on the street about a block that. from my studio. Mm. And it was not long after Jill Marr mm. was murdered in Brunswick. And there was a, a growing attention in Melbourne mm. to violence against women, both in a domestic space, but also in public space. So mm-hmm. these were some of the early um, instances in Melbourne where it was like, wow, people are getting theme. murdered. And and assaulted on the street, like getting taken on the street, and and in really well populated areas. But
0: imagine if that was any other kind of worker. Like imagine if someone, a, mm. a woman in an office, was murdered doing her job. Like it's kind of yeah. inconceivable, right? But and yet, when it's a sex worker, it's like people have this different. Yeah, reaction. well, she
1: she was actually. Um, I guess there wasn't as as much concern, uh, yeah. public concern around her death, as there was for Jill Mar. I remember, um, which yeah. which is something that indicates you know who who mm. who matters to mm. the public. But to me, nevertheless, I I I saw her. I used mm. to pass her on my bike every day, and um, she was incredibly beautiful, mm. graceful woman. And actually, stories were told about her, um, like where people later would say, oh, they used to walk past her with their kid, and their kid would say, like, who's that? woman, is she the queen of our neighborhood? Because she was very tall, wow. very glamorous, um, and very graceful mm. looking person. Anyway, it was just for me, I, I had this growing um, kind of concern and consciousness around violence, which I guess has been with me my entire life. Both my parents mm. were subjected to violence in their homes, mm. physical and sexual violence. My mm. partner's family has been impacted by familial domestic violence, so it's something I just had an absolute consciousness about A lot of my people, whole life.
0: I mean, yeah. most people now have some experience within their family, extended family. Yeah. It's kind of so,
1: scary. so it's. Um, so I was just thinking, well, how would you? But also around those public deaths, I was mm. thinking, how could women express their absolute? you know, discontent and rage and fury that this is happening mm. to us. Like, forget it. Because all at the time in the newspaper, all I kept reading was these stories about why men do it. And like like this. <laughs> like this so we can understand. So we can better understand. <laughs> and stories about how kind of broken women are and how mm. impossible it is for them. Framing them only to, as victims. To kind of rise yeah. beyond. And of mm. course I know because I know in my mother's family mm. and in other people's lives in my partner's family, w- what I know is that, a lot of survivors I know of violence and um, assault. They they're actually the most powerful people I've ever met. Of course, they're the most compassionate, most powerful, and resilient people in a way they have because to they've be. had they've had to be. But <laughs> to also, leave. they they they've carried it as for, a lot of people I know have carried it forward. Mm. Who've who've escaped that cycle of violence have carried forward an absolute intention to give back into the world protect their children in a di- mm-hmm. with a different kind of force yeah and a con- and and so i w- i just wanted to basically create an artwork around this mm-hmm. in the community so that was a way of saying women? enough yeah of course you know enough so what i did initially was i had this idea that i would work from the greek myth of the furies mm-hmm. um who are these mythically in greek you know in greek lore are the you know per- um, drag the perpetrators of violence into the underworld and punish them endlessly. Love They're fun. always depicted as this kind of just almost like haggard, though, Yes. Yeah. sort of, um, you know, dark force of yeah. group. Um, and I thought, well, who who are our contemporary Furies? Mm. Who are the women who've mm. had enough? And how did I do it? How did I get them? It was That's a complicated story, maybe too long. We'd have no. to <laughs> an hour on that. But the, the short answer to that is... That I guess in running a, a project like that in the community, you don't just do a Facebook call out where you know, hey, who wants to be in my furies? And it, you have you to, have to vet them, yeah. You have to sort of. It- have a lot of dialogue in mm-hmm. the community with different groups of people mm. um who are in a proximity i thought as mm-hmm. well to that area where i was mm-hmm. going to show the work so i spoke to women who worked in the library which is right across the street mm-hmm. um women who work at the saint kilda primary school mm-hmm. which is where my um a daughter hope goes to school and where like the women working in that aftercare program there mm-hmm. I, so people that knew this in the community woman. is it uh, well no it not wasn't, necessarily it, was, it had moved beyond that in the sense it was like, because we're all affected by it, but we're doing it in this locality. Mm -hmm. And I I, I had a consciousness around the sense that I wanted to choose people who I know potentially moving through the streets and urban environment don't necessarily have an easy time of it. Mm Um, so I, I, you know, consciously had a kind of dialogue and discussion with people who have a, a range of physical disabilities. Disabilities. I wondered if that was Deafness, yeah. mm-hmm. arthritis, like people who are older age, differently embodied people, mm-hmm. you know, di- very diversely embodied people, ages, uh, cultural backgrounds, just to acknowledge that, you know, there isn't one, there's not, definitely not one experience. Mm. And, and also I was interested to choose some people who maybe have haven't ever been that visible. Mm -hmm. So one of the women I chose, Sue, um, is a mom um, at the school, is a mother of one of um, Hope's Hope's friends at school. And um, she's a full-time mom who contributes amazingly into the community. Like she's the person who's giving everyone a birthday present and card on their birthday. and and moms make us all the sports. I know, but she's amazing. (laughs) The sports manager for her son's basketball team. Like just incredible human being. But not, you know. Not um, someone who has, like, a very visible professional Mm. sort of, um, Mm. you know, visibility, I guess. Just a visibility. And selfless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And so people like that who I thought would be really interesting to see what would it be like if they were a superhero of the neighborhood. Yeah. So we took these photos. Basically, the we we trained them. So I awesome. worked with a trainer. I had undertaken a course in self defense, and yeah. so I worked with a trainer to train train the women who were selected in the Furies. So it wasn't just that we were going to take photos of women looking, you know, really pissed off and angry and doing self defense. No, it was a process to actually give mm-hmm. them physical training and agency. Mm. And a quarter of the women who were in the project also were survivors of violence. Yeah. So yeah, so So they had that in common. They were people who wanted, who who were really interested as Mm. well, but maybe hadn't even ever had that
0: opportunity opportunity or or
1: training Mm -hmm. so that we did the training and then I worked with the photographer Simon Strong who I've worked with on a number of my projects so he was he was behind beautiful photographs he's an incredible and he and if you saw the photos we take on the day and you see what he's he's done and worked with me to do Mm. essentially the this stormy skies Mm -hmm. behind them and all this is something that you know he's had a major kind of, hand in yeah and the scale as well yes yeah, so well what happened was we did the whole project thinking they'd just be photos in the mm-hmm. gallery inside the town hall as a show of photographs mm-hmm. and after we shot the photos um I looked at them with Simon and I said I, I think these are gonna have to be like four meter high yeah. banners on the front of the building <laughs> and I told the that council it, I told yeah. this I told the you know the project manager and mm-hmm. the curator Louisa Scott and and it it was a really big deal to was get it? that to happen. Yeah, because that Permits It's and- a oh yeah. It mm. was there was a moment where it wasn't going to happen. Wow. Because it's not an easy thing to affix. No. um to a heritage you know, building. To a heritage mm. building. Oh, gosh. So, but I just said to them, this is what it is now. Yep. It's not a show anymore inside, and that's which it where, was as well, actually. We did a what, show inside as well. But. but
0: often that's where the hard work of an artist lies in those tiny details that it's not actually the creative, you know, making the work makes is yeah. easy often. Yeah. It's those it's tiny the, little bits like getting the road closed for half an hour. Yeah, <laughs> oh,
1: yeah it was big. Yeah. And I, I actually, I mean – yeah, I'll give some tips to our yes, users to an be a bit yeah. tough. <laughs> um, basically, I said to them, mm. "You can take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. If you don't." do it good I'll you. take it to another council I'll put it mm-hmm. on their buildings and um I mean I had a lot of advocacy behind me with the curator mm-hmm. on the project that's good but to push something like that through you've, you've actually got to say it's happening or it isn't happening here yeah and since they'd funded it and so generously funded it they really wanted to own it I mean yeah. they, they did the curatorial team wanted to own it good on and, you and and mm. it was up for four months
0: that was amazing. I mean, I think that's th- that's what makes it, that conviction is like the last push to get into yeah. the world is is what you were trying to get across with the content anyway. Yeah. It's that sort of force of nature that you need to be to, you know, be up against all of this stuff that we all confront every yeah. day as whatever we are, mothers or artists or people on the street. It's just this crazy kind of constant yeah. front You have to keep up.
1: And they were, like, I think once they were up there as well, they Mm. were, like, superheroes. They were. They were, like, so tough. And there's all these amazing photos of, like, kids. There was this little boy. um, He's, like, two years old, Mm. and he's looking up. There's a photo of him wearing a superhero cape, like a Superman cape, looking up at his, like, four-meter-high mom who is pregnant at the time. He's on the side of the building. Mm. And just... Thinking she is the most important person. So cool. But they were actually ripped down on the last week after four months, no defacement, no problem with them. them Who would know? They were all ripped down one after the other and shoved in a ball, (laughs) a crunched up ball under the bridge of the nearby daycare center. But when they rang me and they said they're all sh- they they're all ripped down and I went and surveyed the damage, they, they actually were so cleanly ripped <laughs> that it saved me like $2,000 on the deinstall. install <laughs> <laughs> So thanks, defacer of my work, it came down four days early, but I actually got uh, a cheap deinstall. install
0: Oh, don't you love that? Because the guys
1: just had to get up in the crane and just like unclip the, the hooks. Um, the hooks. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: great. Mm-hmm. But I love how that... Um, I love that story of the young boy, like, looking at Mm. his mum and that being documented as well because so often Mm. mothers are kind of like these superheroes, you know, we all know that that's what. But they're like the invisible superheroes. They're invisible superheroes and it's it's something that, like, especially with having two boys as well, Mm. you're aware of that they have this utter respect for you growing up and then somehow that Mm. because society encourages that role Mm. to be sort of forgotten or often devalued and all of that kind of stuff that we've been aware of for ages but I love that that sort of made it big and permanent and Mm. and hopefully that in the future maybe you go into um as a woman you might go into motherhood thinking Mm. this is a serious role this is something that I can be I I it's a big responsibility and actually mm. you have to be really strong and tough and yeah. to have a career at the same time, Yeah, it's really full on. Um, and that's something I just wanted to ask you before we wrap up mm. is how do you see that kind of future changing, you know, for, for hope, you know, for your child hope and, mm. and also for other women, you know, growing up now? How do you, how do you see it changing from what we mm. had maybe 20, 30 years ago?
1: Mm. I don't know. I mean, I've some uh, in, on a good day. Mm. I think <laughs> Let's go with the good uh, let's go, day. Well, I think on a good day, I think it's changing a lot already and there's a lot of I feel like the next changes for their upbringing is to have a different understanding, a better understanding around the binary kind of nature of gender. Yeah. This generation is going to break all those rules from childhood and give us yep. a new world on that front, I believe. Yeah, they already are. Um, they? Yeah. And, and Hope is is doing that already. They mm-hmm. are already um, one of many children that I can see around me who are through a what's going to require a lot of bravery and resilience Mm -hmm. but are already in early childhood forging ahead Mm. with a a um, non-binary, you know, way of expressing and being in in their gender. And just not accepting those ridiculous rules that so many people place on But what I see, yes, but what I also see is that the rules are just still there and the binaries are still there. And Mm. it it looks to me not so different Mm. from what it was like when I was a child. It's just that there are people who are actually confronting confronting it in a different way. And I also think, you know, issues of racial equality Mm. and how we move forward on that front in this country is already should be an issue for children, Mm. all children Mm. at an earlier age. But again, on a bad day, I don't think things have changed much at all. So that's where, but I don't think that that means we should, you know, sit in a corner and cry. I think (laughs) it's more like people. people like to reassure themselves mm. oh look it's getting better you mm. know women have jobs and kids are transgender and there's kind it's of just racial the optimist versus but, the but in fact yeah. if you reassure yourself too much you might you might get a little lazy and not do anything and I think there's still tons to do I agree there's so much to do and I
0: think the things that we can do the most are like shine light on mm. people that are doing it and for me yeah. it's like if you're part of the media or you're part of an institution or whatever yeah, you, you, can do can, that. you can do that and yeah. then each of us have a, has our own power whether it's like being a yeah. school teacher or a mum, you have your own way of, of just shedding that light, yeah. light or, uh, or giving a voice, or, yeah. you know, sharing the stories. Yeah. So that's why you came in today. And oh, it's
1: been a great pleasure.
0: It has been a great pleasure having you, Kate, just, and um, hopefully we can do it again sometime. I hope so. There are so many parts of this chat with Kate that made me smile. The way she talks about building a character for each day with what she wears. The way she somehow got me to confess to my cowboy hat wearing past or our hilarious discussion about makeup. Kate's wonderful insight to her work, The Furies, focusing on women expressing their deep felt fury over the many injustices inflicted on women in their communities and making this public rather than the usual explanation of men's motives. I found it moving how Kate not only used these women as subjects of her photos, but worked with them, giving them training and agency as part of the project. There's a very generous and admirable social conscience about Kate that's really inspiring. Not only does she realise the power she has, but she has a way of making work that helps each of us identify the same power in ourselves, making all types of women into superheroes. Thanks, Kate. This conversation was hosted by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist for those of you who don't know my work. I'm actually making a series of artworks inspired by each of these conversations. The first iteration was shown recently at Sarah Scout Presents. The exhibition's over now, but you can see the documentation on my website. For more information about the project and the artists I'm speaking to, head to tysnaith.com. Thanks to my audio producer, Beck Fari and Melbourne musician Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, for letting me use the track End of the Day from her album The Ocean of Everything. This podcast was originally conceived as part of the exhibition Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. This second season and the exhibition is supported by the Australia Council for the
1: Arts.